0: to another episode of Hot Wash. We definitely got a great episode uh, with some great guests lined up tonight. If this is your first time tuning in, you're tuning in live to the Hot Wash on Warrior Out Radio. We are live, uncensored, unadulterated. We tell the truth. We speak our minds. So uh, if you don't like that or you got tender ears, you might not want to listen to this broadcast. If you do like that and you like to hear the truth, you like to talk about hot veterans issues or issues that are important to veterans, uh, this is the show for you. If you're interested in speaking uh, on the air tonight or talking mm-hmm. with our guests, the number to call is 563-999-3015. That's 563 We've got a awesome, very distinguished co-host, is a, a guest co-host tonight, and Is definitely not new to the hot wash. He's been on the show twice as a guest, and uh, we're very honored to have Command Sergeant Major retired Joe Anello with us. Sergeant Major, how? Sergeant Major, are you there?
1: Oh yes, I'm here, C.D. I I thought I lost you for a minute there.
0: Yeah, you cut out there
2: for
1: a bit. Yeah. Uh, Good uh, evening. uh, You're uh, definitely.
2: I think you cut cut out again, Joe. This
1: evening is. uh is uh, Ruben Archuleta. he got a fantastic uh, career. The stories to tell us, I'm sure. Uh, He came and he rose from a a young lad, uh, uh, the uh, son of a sharecropper, and uh, he rose to the esteemed position of the uh, chief of police in Pueblo, Colorado. Uh, Ruben, I was wondering if you might tell us uh, what gave you this drive to rise from your humble beginnings to that position as chief of police in Pueblo, Colorado. Give us a... a, Uh, Joe, I I
2: think it was uh, growing up, you know, in the uh, San Luis Valley, a very poor area of the state, and I I grew up with my grandparents. My parents were working the fields and the warehouses, so uh, I lived with my grandparents just so I would have some continuity, you know, in my life. And they had a very strong work ethic. Uh, family ties were very important to them, and also been very religious. So they were very strict, but very loving. And they taught us that you don't get something for nothing. And that, and then I, I went to a school that had nuns for teachers, and they pretty much instilled the same thing, uh, as you know from. Great school through high school and that i carried that with me uh i went in the service when i was 17 years old i i signed up before i graduated from high school i signed up for the army but my dad won't sign for me uh he told me you either go to college or you uh go into the air force or the navy because they've got some pretty good schools so so i did that i i, I went in the navy and and had a great career while I was in the Navy and, and that, and again, you know, the, the military, I love the military. And I think that pretty much started me on my trying to achieve as much as I could, you know, I, cause I knew there was a lot of competition out there and I had to be twice as good.
3: Outside of the Navy yeah. outfits, what did you love about the Navy?
2: I love the travel. Um, I didn't enjoy getting seasick. You know, there's not too many ships in uh, the the uh, Colorado New Mexico State line, but uh, I it was all psychological. As soon as they would say set the sea detail, my stomach would start. You know, but uh, what it 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 went away in a few hours. But I loved traveling, meeting the different people. At the time, I was pretty young, so. I could pick up languages really quick. I picked up enough Japanese to get around, some Vietnamese, and and, and things like that. So, but I think it was just meeting the different people.
3: Mm, you like to you like connecting to people.
2: Yes, I do. I've always been interested in how other people live and uh, and their, their their philosophy, their work ethics, and you know, and what they did to get, to, uh, to get ahead and. Uh, and a lot of them, I'm. I was, you know, I grew up with very poor people, so this was my interest. In what did you do to get ahead?
1: hmm Speaking of growing up, there, Ruben, you had some pretty strong role models uh, in your in your family, uh, particularly way back during the 1800s. Could you tell us about some of them, please? Y-
2: uh, yes, I did. You know, uh, we are. Uh, Militarily, my family went back quite a ways. Uh, anywhere from the Revolutionary War to the Civil War, I I wow. um, I, I had... Um, there was an arch letter that was in the Battle of in Glorieta Pass in New Mexico. Uh, Korean War, I lost a cousin in the Korean War. I lost routers in Vietnam. Uh, I lost uh, an uncle in the uh, Second World War. So... And I'd had a great uncle that was in the first world war. So we've been a very strong military family and all those that grew up around me too. And, and, and the people all around me, and you, you've got to realize my community was about 90 some percent Hispanic, but they were very patriotic. All they did, did was talk about going into the service and doing this and doing that and, uh, so I I had uh my foot my football coach uh was a captain in the uh National Guard and again you know he always pushed you know working hard do the best that you can and, and 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 he's the one that really was one of my mentors and uh I was always very proud of him and I used to think about him all the time and he made a a, a difference in my life I, I I've got to give him a lot of credit because we used to speak Spanish. When I started school, I didn't know a word of English. And we spoke mm-hmm. Spanish in school when the nuns weren't around. And we complained to our coach that the nuns wouldn't let us speak our language. And instead of getting sympathy from him, he chewed us out. He says, you learn to speak English properly because there's a real world out there and, mm-hmm. and you've got to compete out there. So like I say, you know, he, uh, he, he set me on the, on the right road. Good,
3: good. So now you're in the Navy and the Air Force.
2: Uh yes, I I did four years active duty in the Navy. Then I did eight years reserve. After that, uh, while I was in the reserve, I I did some recruiting duty. I I did some instructive duty. I uh, I trained uh, reserve recruits at, at Great Lakes. And then I got out of it. It, it just got to be, <clears throat> excuse me, too hectic uh, while I was working on the police department. But this job mm-hmm. opened up at uh, NORAD, and uh, and I was an E6 at the time, and it was with the 1010 uh, Special Security Squadron. And I figured, oh, I'll try for that job, and I did get it. But I, mm-hmm. I went from being a captain to a sergeant, you know, a captain of the police department to a sergeant in the Air Force, and I had no idea how to wear the uniform. They had switched over to the camouflage, the BDUs. I didn't know uh-huh. any of the acronyms. So I get there to NORAD, and I'm supposed to know all this, and I'm supposed to be a supervisor, and they're having me run drills there at NORAD. And I did a lot of studying. I, I, I read a lot of books, and but I, I did okay. I did okay. I had some uh, pretty good support there.
3: You're like you can find what? me at Granite Inn. <laughs>
2: What's that?
3: I said you could find me at Granite Inn. I guess a lot of people would go escape there. I guess it's like the DFAC place. <laughs>
2: mm. Yeah, I understand it yeah. wouldn't do much good now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so
3: you did a lot of yeah. tracking of Santa when you were at NORAD, right? What's that? Because that's like You tracked a lot of uh, you tracked Santa Claus a lot when you were at NORAD. Because um, a lot of mm-hmm. people uh, in the U.S. are not really privy to uh, a lot of the things that are kind of special in our military. And uh, when I ask right. them about, about NORAD, they think it's the Santa Claus tracker.
4: <laughs> right,
2: right, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. And and they hear about it once a year, you know. But it is an amazing facility. I don't know if they conduct tours through there or not anymore. But it just it is just unbelievable. You know the uh, procedures you have to go through the uh the the planning that went into that mountain uh for water for you know for the e m p the electromagnetic pulse and things like that and yeah. uh, it is just amazing it's an amazing facility and when you go to lunch or dinner or whatever it is, it almost seems like you're in a regular chow hall you can't even tell you're in the mountain,
3: wow. Yeah, and it's the only place where uh, Canada, right? Uh, Canada works with the United States. And it was, right. uh, uh-huh. started because of the Russian threat, but then it switched over, right. I think, after 9-11, um, and then they started doing a lot of things with tracking uh, drug trades as well. So, right. So, do know if a lot of people now, realize how important that place is.
5: yeah.
2: Right. Now, I transferred over from NORAT and... When they were starting what is Schriever Air Base in there, east of Colorado Springs, now at the time it was called Falcon Air Force Station. So I got in on the uh, when they were doing the uh, the tunnels and all that. So it was really interesting because I got in while they were doing all that neat stuff. So got to uh, work with them while they're doing all that work out there.
3: It's amazing, huh?
2: <clears throat> it was amazing. It's really. And, again, you know, an unbelievable building where you've got floors between floors and you've got uh, uh, the different areas that are uh, the safe areas and things like that, you know. The, it's just it's amazing what our military can do. It, it really is.
3: Yeah, and they dubbed it the American uh, Fortress. Is that right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's uh like I say, you know, I, I, I have been so fortunate when I look back at, at my career. When, every time I drive by that mountain, I say, how many people have gotten to do that? And, or, or they mention Schriever and, uh, and things like that and, and uh,
4: <clears throat>
2: the, the secure areas that had, they had there, secure, inside secure, and, 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 and the things, the, the training that you got, it was train, train, train all the time.
3: And then that transitioned you to law enforcement, so you went from mm-hmm. the military and then you decided to continue your service.
2: <clears throat> yeah, you know and uh it was it was great, you know, and I think that really helped me understand the the police officers, you know the uh, the uh, the command structure and everything, and in fact, when I was hiring. I always try to get veterans if I could, you know, they got veterans points when they got hired, but I, Mm -hmm. the, uh, the uh, veterans were always my best police officers because they were mature. They knew the Mm -hmm. command structure. They knew what discipline was, accountability, Mm -hmm. consequences, and they were very, very respectful. So they made really good police officers. So I, I always loved it when I got veterans.
1: Hey, Ruben, in your time as a police officer and your rise to uh, the chief of police of Pueblo, it wasn't always peaches and cream. I know you told me you had your ups and downs in in certain areas. Would you care to expound on that for the listeners?
2: Yeah, it it was tough, you know, because when I went on the police department, uh, the mob had infiltrated our police department, uh, where you could... uh, Buy your stripes, or get hot. What's that?
3: I said those Italians. I was just joking with Joe.
2: <laughs> oh, uh-huh. yeah, oh, and, and it was, and, and it, <laughs> and, uh, and it, they had infiltrated the police department, so we started working on it, and fortunately, we got an outside chief uh, from uh, Kansas City. He was a fantastic guy. Uh, when Clarence Kelly went to the FBI, we got chief willoughby as our, our police chief and 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 we went after the uh the people that were in our department that were dirty we we fired some we sent some to prison and uh and we it cleaned the police department and uh lucky for me i i i got a, i got promoted uh, during that time so but it was it was tough uh uh when i was working on uh, organized crime same thing uh it, it was. Uh, it was. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it, but I feared for. I didn't fear for my life or my safety. I feared for my family. Uh, uh, at one time, they had a contract out on me. They, uh, they, uh, my, the bolts were loosened on one of my a frames when my wheel fell off when I was driving. I got my tires slashed, and, and, and things like that. One of uh, the guys I was working with, when he opened the car door. The, the door handle was attached to a the pin on a grenade that was taped to the uh, to the uh, the steering wheel, and when he opened wow. the door, he pulled up the end of the grenade, and it was a dummy. But you know, they were trying to send us a message. So another and and one of the other probably one of the hardest things I had to do was especially as um, when I got into the the higher ranks and, and as chief when you had to discipline friends that you went on the department with you. I had mm-hmm. one, one guy that, uh, we worked on the organized crime strike force and he was a Marine ex Marine. He had a PTS and, and so, and, and he went through some of that when we were working together, but, uh, he got himself into trouble and fortunately for him, he was eligible for retirement because I was Mm -hmm. able to give him uh, the choice of you retire or I'll fire you. And, you know, and there were some tears shed, things like that. Mm -hmm. I, I had to fire some other guys too. And, uh, a lot of people were glad to see them go because you know, they, they were some bad apples, but it wasn't always peaches and cream. You know, you had to deal with the politics. Uh, uh, you had to deal with uh, officer-involved shootings; those were always tough, and, and yeah. things like that when you had an officer-involved shooting. But uh, I, I, I pretty much enjoyed it though.
3: Yeah, what do you think about yes. the current environment with uh, law for, uh, law enforcement and the citizens attacking them?
2: <clears throat> I tell you what, I I wouldn't want to be a police officer now. Uh, they'd have me behind bars because <laughs> it, it 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 would be tough. You'd fight you know. Back. Uh, yeah. yeah. But, you, yeah, you know, when I used to tell my officers, you, they can you, abuse you verbally or whatever thing and uh, whatever, but you're not getting paid to get hurt. And and that's the way you treat people. You treat people with respect. I don't care who they are. But now, you don't know when you're going to get shot. There there used to be respect for the badge. But there isn't any more. That, that badge is a target. And not only that, but uh, uh, everybody's got a camera yeah. now. And mm-hmm. and it makes it really tough because uh, I, I I can tell you about one incident where <clears throat> I'm glad they didn't have a camera around, but I was chasing after an escapee, and, uh, and I had my gun out. And when I went up to him, he picked up a huge piece of concrete, and he hit me with it. And I just about shot him at that time, but I didn't because i I could just see the headlines uh you know um cop shoots rock floor, but you know mm-hmm. and, and I told him that and then he bent over to get another piece of concrete, so so I subdued him i i I, I hit him on the head with my gun, <laughs> and yeah, and took him to the but you know, and it's just when you have to make those split second decisions it makes it, it mm-hmm. makes it tough.
3: Yeah, you're right. They seem to have lost respect for the badge. Um, Do you think that maybe people, instead of they were missing a few hugs, maybe they needed a few ass-beatings? And uh, this thing called respect is what it seems like these days.
2: Well, and, Uh, you know, uh, our kids, we were very strict with our our kids. and They were disciplined. uh, and, And, you know, they got a swat on the bottom when they needed it. But what Mm -hmm. it boils down to is that we've lost the family unit. You don't Mm -hmm. have a family unit. There's not the love between kids and their parents. Everybody's too busy, Uh, Mm -hmm. and then they don't take care of the children. I've seen parents where they they get mad because the teachers aren't raising their kids, and or the cops aren't straightening their kids out. And we tell them, you know, the teachers are, are. yeah, the teachers are not there to uh, to raise your kids, they're there to teach. And we're not there to raise your kids, you know, by the time they get to us, it's a little bit too late. So it's uh, it's it's tough. It really is.
3: Yeah. Are there points where you felt like you made a difference?
2: <clears throat> oh, yes. And and I still see it because I used to work the community centers in the Hispanic part of town and in the black part of town and i still even it was last week i ran across a guy i think it was Walmart or Sands or something like that that mm-hmm. that thanked me for being there when he was a little kid and i Aww. still have awesome. that happen yeah and it and it happens i had a, another lady that did the same thing um uh, and and it was uh it was really interesting because Some of these kids, I'd throw them in in jail maybe the night before. Next day, we'd be working out, working out together, lifting weights together or whatever. So they were pretty good kids. It was uh, my very first day in the the, uh, black section of town in in the community center. um, I walked in, and, and I set the rules. I said, I don't want any cussing, no smoking, and I want some respect for each other. And the place emptied out for a few days, but pretty soon they started coming back, and there was no cussing, no smoking. In fact, this one kid, you know, I was drinking a a pop, and he comes in, and uh, he gets my pop, and he takes a swig from it. And they're all watching, like, uh uh-oh. And, you know, he he handed me the bottle, and I... I got a drink, you know, and asking you want another drink? You want the rest of it? And they couldn't believe it, you know. So we we uh, it worked out pretty good. I I I loved working in those community centers.
3: Yeah, but you like making it different.
2: Yeah. Uh huh. Yes. It it did. But you know, then there would be disappointments where you saw people that you work with, kids that you work with. One of them that used to go to the community center. Shot and killed mm-hmm. one of our police officers.
3: Wow! So there's
2: there's you know, uh, and and the poor guy, the poor officer walked in to get a carton of milk in the middle of the night, and this kid was um, pulling an armed robbery. Just turned around and shot the officer with a little Saturday night special, you know, a 22, and unfortunately mm-hmm. that shot went right through his heart, killed him right there. Wow! And this is one of the kids that used to hang out at the uh, community center.
3: Yeah, life is about consequences for sure. Um, I've actually been to a few funerals myself at, you know, Las Vegas Metro Police Department. Um, two of uh, my our buddies, uh, you know, had gotten shot by citizens while they were eating pizza. And for any police officer, all they want to do is make the community better. Right. That's their only goal. I, uh, yeah. They have families. Was, they have uh, friends. They're brothers, fathers. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I was involved in the uh, Columbine School Review Commission. Uh, I, I used to work for uh, the governor, Bill Owens. I was on his transition team first, and then he put me on the Columbine School Review Commission, and that was an eye-opener. It's uh, yeah. First, they had a, a forum with uh, law enforcement from all over the country and and they kept talking, well, we've got to pass a law of this, pass the law of that. And I didn't wait my turn. I told them, wait a minute. I told them, you know, you want to sit over here and you want to pass laws that will give you that touchy feeling that you've accomplished something you and go home and nothing happened. Because mm. when you pass a law, it's done under the assumption that that law is going to be obeyed. And the, the, one, the law-abiding citizens will obey the law. And, and and the the no goods the gangers and the crooks aren't going to do it. I told them mm-hmm. and I told them this at the uh, during the um, the hearings there for the Columbine School Review Commission. You've got to have accountability. There's got to be responsibility for your actions, and you've got to have consequences. Consequences are are so important. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, uh, people talk about well, you know, we should have passed a law for these kids and all that. Those kids, the uh, Klebold and his partner that had, were involved in that shooting at Columbine, I think we counted mm-hmm. that they broke, uh, I can't remember how many laws, even before they got to Columbine School, with the bombs that they had, the uh, the weapons that they had, and all that. And uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't care about the laws that were on the books.
4: No. Yeah.
1: yeah, hey, Robin. Yeah. Your rise to uh, the, uh, the position of uh, chief of police in Pueblo was not an easy road to haul. In fact, uh, uh, just before your promotion to uh, the chief of police, there you hit a few roadblocks. Would you like to expound on that?
2: Oh, it, yeah. It was it was rough. Um, I competed with this uh, guy out of. Uh, out of Texas for the, the the position, though. There were several of us, but he and I were the finalists, and uh, he got the job. Uh, he had the gift of gab and all this and that, and he made a very good impression on the city manager and city council, so he got the job. Well, it was a lot of talk and, and no-go. Uh, one of the problems was is that uh, he liked to drink, he liked to gamble, he liked to chase women, And he was doing that when he got here to Pueblo. Okay, now the narcotics and vice unit came to me. I was the the investigations division commander at the time, and they're saying, hey, this is what's coming back to us, and this is what the chief is doing. And I told him, okay, I'll take care of it. So I met with him, and I told him this, this, and this is what's going on. And uh, and you can't do it. This is in Houston. Every, this is just a small town, and everybody knows what you're doing in this town. And he said, well, they're a bunch of liars. Well, they weren't a bunch of liars. He was gambling with some of the police officers that worked for him. In fact, he owed some of them money.
4: Oh, wow. and,
2: uh, and, and I had told them, don't kill the messenger. Well, I found out... L- Shortly after that, he was at a party, and he's uh, pouring beer on people, and he's telling them about how he's going to get me. And believe me, he tried. One of the officers told me what was going on. He tried. He uh, he tried to get me fired. He had him run uh, psychiatric tests on me, and and you name it, he oh, did. Oh, wow. It. And uh, so, uh, but... I, I persevered, and I made up my mind that he was not going to get to me. I went through, through some deep depression, very made it very rough on me and my family, and the police officers could not be seen talking to me. They would come by my house wow. at night to talk to me. And so it was pretty rough, but uh, he finally got run out of town. And, again, I had to compete with everybody else for the job, and, and I got it. So, uh, but it was tough. Uh, he, uh, I remember, he called me in one day and he says, "Tell me, he says, do you think I'm a racist?" And I tell him, "Well, I, I don't know, Chief." I told him, "You've got all the people that from sergeant above the high-ranking officers." I told, I told him, "You got them over there in the annex. You've put them all over there, transferred them all over in the annex." And, and, and in fact, I told him, "The annex is known as Little Chihuahua." I'm, and he says, "Well, I will have you know that some of my best friends are Mexicans, and so that, yeah. uh, that, that 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 took care of that, you know. So I made me made me really feel good, you know. And uh, and uh, he uh, yeah,
1: when you were competing had, there, Reuben. <clears throat> Sorry, go ahead. I thought yeah. you were
2: finished. No, no, no. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I,
1: when you were competing there for your job mm-hmm. there for police of chief, uh, chief of police, uh, I think uh, you were telling me that uh, uh, somebody brought in the race factor about Plebelle not being ready for an Hispanic. police oh. chief. yeah, I, uh,
2: yeah, I got it. You know that. Uh, we had this guy. Well, he was one of the guys involved with organized crime. And uh, I call him the so-called respected, almost respectful citizens. And I got along with the guy. I mean, we got along great. But, you know, word got back to me that uh, he got a hold of the, uh, the, some of the city people. And he told them, you know, well, Ruben's really a nice guy, but this city is not ready for an Hispanic officer. And so I, I I didn't get the job and uh, but uh, uh, I I didn't get even with him but I made him pucker up you know because uh, <laughs> I, I I I remember advising him of his rights but <laughs> well, that's about as far as we got you know we weren't we weren't able to nail him but. We had some interesting people in this town. We, uh, the uh, the head of the uh, Colorado Mafia was here in Pueblo, and uh, in in fact, uh, <laughs> my wife when she came to intern from South Dakota, she rented this apartment, and it just so happened that this guy was her uh, her landlord, and when I started dating her, I told her, you know who this guy is, and I told her she uh, uh, she tr- try to get out of the lease and he says, you ain't getting that. So and she told me about it. So I went and had a little chat with him and lo and behold, you know, I well, didn't, she didn't have to go with the lease. So, uh, but, no, that was some, some <laughs> can't refuse. Yeah, that's right. Uh, this guy, I don't know. Have you ever heard of this, this incident with this guy, but he, uh, inside of the, in front of this nightclub, that was also owned by the mob. uh, He shot this black guy, got him down on his knee, shot him, shot him. And he was acquitted because nobody saw the bullet leave the gun. You know, we used to have stuff like that. So it's, uh, it was, we had some very interesting times, very interesting times, Mm -hmm. but we had a, a really great community. You know, crime wasn't running rampant. Uh, yeah, and the crooks knew where they stood, and we knew where they stood too, so it wasn't real, real bad.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you touched briefly about uh, some of your experiences there, Ruben, uh, but uh, I think the, uh, the folks that are listening would probably be interested in, in hearing about your episodes down in uh, Mexico and, uh, and uh, perhaps some of your experiences, as you call them, your happy
2: days. Mm. Well, let's see. I wound up in Mexico a couple of times. We had a a double homicide here. And, uh, and they naturally, they, they fled to Mexico after they, they killed some people up here. And at the time we didn't have an extradition treaty with Mexico. So we figured, well, they're untouchable. We were told by the state department, by FBI and everybody tell me you can't extradite them. So I got a hold of this detective that was uh was a los angeles p d and I heard he'd handled some of those cases, so we worked with him and what we had to do was uh put together a paper case i mean just as if we were trying it everything was on paper the evidence uh the witness statements and all this and that and and we had to get all that put together go go up to Denver and and have it approved up there and uh, through the consulate up there and and took it down there. And, uh, and we, uh, we were able to get that prosecuted. Uh, uh, the other one I worked, I worked, we worked, uh, police corruption down there in the, uh, state of, uh, in Veracruz. And and that was interesting because I think I may have told Joe if, if you've ever seen that movie clear and present danger, that's mm-hmm. how we traveled down there, especially with it, with the governor down there, because the governor's the one that called us in and we had armed people in front of us, behind us. My driver was a major that uh, carried his 45 right on his lap and things like this. So it was, it was interesting. You know, they, and I didn't realize how bad it was down there until later on, you start hearing about the cartels. Cause when I was, uh. <clears throat> Excuse me. When I was working in an undercover capacity, I was working organized crime, and I was dealing with uh, the cartel around Culiacan, Mexico. And we we were setting up our deals and, and things like that. And I mean, they didn't they didn't hesitate to kill anybody. When uh, when they first dealt with me, they asked me for my driver's license to see if I was actually the person I i was saying uh that i was supposed to be and i had a fake driver's license they checked me out and then they told me you cross us we will find you we will find your family and we will kill them all Mm -hmm. and so i said fine you know and i was supposed to be a a big time dealer i had my own plane and all this and that and and we were setting up all these deals they uh we I, I, they wanted a deal in heroin, and they were talking about kilos of heroin at the time. And you're you're looking at in the seventies. This is in the seventies. and They're talking about kilos of heroin, and 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 things like that. But uh, uh, I think I may have told you about when I'm coming back with this guy that's uh, with with the the cartel. We're walking driving back from eastern Colorado. I don't see any surveillance or anything like that. But uh driving along very quietly and he starts staring at me and I said, What's your problem? He says, I think you're a cop. So I puckered up. But anyway, uh, I had my, my 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 pistol on my ankle holster, but I I just pulled over to the side of the road and and he says, What's going on? I told him, Get out of the car. He says, What do you mean get out of the car? I said, get out of the car. He said, what do you mean? I told him, I told him, I told him, you get out of my freaking car because I ain't working with you. If you don't trust me, we're not doing business. And he said, oh no no no, fine, you know. So we get back in the car and he starts tearing at me again. And I say, so what's your problem now? And he says, now don't get mad at me. But he says, you remember when you're putting the handcuffs on me, you bust me that I told you that I thought you were a cop. And unfortunately, I wasn't there to put the cuffs on him. (laughs) I think, uh, I don't know if that was that deal, but one of our informants got killed. Uh, he was run over by a very big truck, you know, and hit and run that, uh, we never did get that solved, but, uh, interesting stuff like that. Uh, uh, and I loved it, you know, because I would disappear. You know, the different agencies would borrow me, because uh, I was fluent in Spanish at the time, and I would work the wiretaps or work undercover. I would be gone weeks at a time, and my wife had no idea where I was. I couldn't tell her where I was. Uh, <clears throat> later on, I became fluent in Russian, but and I worked with the Soviets. But it wasn't. It was just uh, uh, with the and we were destroying the Persian missiles over here. So, uh, it was just, you know, they paired us off and things like that worked together. But, uh, that, that was a lot of fun too. And we played the silly games, uh, give them wine and cheese, more wine and cheese and try to get as much information as we could out of them and things like that. But, uh, like I, I, I had a lot of fun. Uh, 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 went to the secret service training and, uh, worked quite a bit with the, with the secret service with dignitary protection and, and later on working with sports personalities and, uh, politicians and, uh, and, uh, Hollywood people like that. So like I said before, I, I was just fortunate later on is Mm -hmm. when I got really involved with the military. And that was through the, uh, my friendship with drew Dix, uh, uh, Drew and I, uh, our Medal of Honor recipient from Pueblo, uh, uh, I, I, I used to know uh, Carl Sitter and Bill Crawford and Jerry Murphy. We used to go down to visit them in, 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 uh, in Albuquerque, but Drew Diggs and I did a lot of stuff together, and this is before he got involved with the Center for American Values, And uh, but we did a lot of stuff together, and then about... 20 some years ago, I got him, uh, got to know Pete Lemon. In fact, the very first time I met Pete Lemon, when I picked him up, I told him, we got to go, Pete, we got a bank robbery going down. So that was his first experience with, for Pete is uh, we went on the bank robbery, but I think I'm talking too much. Uh, you ask me the questions Not that real. you want and, uh, and, and let me know what you'd like for me to talk about, or have you got any questions?
5: I actually yeah. want like to know to about
3: the Medal of Honor. Uh, oh, go ahead.
2: I was just going to ask Ruben about that
1: time that uh, he was held up at the Mexican border there for quite a while there, trying to prove his identity <laughs> to get back in the States.
2: <laughs> oh, which time? <laughs> well, it uh, was the one time that you told me about. He, oh, yeah. Uh, I, I used to go scuba diving, spear fishing down in Mexico. And... Uh, on the way back, what, we took one of our buddies, he was a Norwegian, and on our way back, we're coming across the border and and the the customs people, who are they, whoever works the border anyway, uh, they wanna know if there were any foreigners in the car. And my wise, wise guy buddy, uh, college buddy said, yeah, we got one in here, and he meant the Norwegian. So the lady looks at me and asks me for my papers, and I could not find them. And and she says, "You know, you go park over there. We got to get this straightened out." When she got busy, we took off. So I'm. They're probably still looking for me. And
5: and then <laughs> and,
2: uh, and then another time we went down there. Uh, a buddy of mine, he was elected governor of Chihuahua. So we went down there and we took uh took in the inauguration or whatever it is they have down there. And in fact, I think the city manager was with me. And again, you know, when we go to, to the airport to leave, I'm I'm not kidding. They always pick me. Uh they they want to check my papers. Everybody else goes through but they want to check my papers. And again I could not find them and I knew I put them in my suitcase, but I could not find them. And finally he says well, I guess you're okay. I saw your picture in the paper, he says so so you're okay and I found, found the <laughs> papers there. They they snatched me up me and my buddy uh in uh the airport in Mexico City and I we were surrounded by federales. And they checked us out, wanna know where we're going and all this and that and uh gave us a third degree and I, I asked this major that was my driver down in, in Jalapa, in Veracruz, I him t- t- what happened, you know, we got surrounded by federales uh, when we got off the plane there in, in Mexico City. He says, oh, and he used to be a federale. He says, oh, any time you see a gringo and a Mexican together, he says, you check them out. <laughs> so <laughs> that answered that question there.
3: The a winning combination. <laughs>
2: Oh, no uh, kidding, fine. yeah. But it, it's want, probably a good thing I'd, I became a cop because I'd have never made a very good crook. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah.
3: I wanted to ask you the significance of the canes. Uh, I know that you make them for each of the Medal of Honor recipients. Right. And uh, I wanted to know, uh, is that sacred to you and what type of wood you use or you know, how long it takes to make those?
2: Uh yeah, I started out because i i um I made a cane for me because I used a cane for quite a while i I was having back problems and uh had three back surgeries, so I used a cane for a long time and then uh drew was telling me about this young lady that he met, and she was military and she got injured. Over than the uh, I don't know if it was Operation Desert Storm or one of those, and he asked me if I'd make a cane for her, and I said sure. So I made a cane, and you know he really liked it. And so I had told Drew, "How would you like a cane?" He said, "Fine." So, and then he uh, had me make one for Ron Ray, he uh, one of the other Medal of Honor recipients. And then I made one for uh, Gary Wetz. He had me make one for Gary. He's he's the one that's going to be there Friday. So I, I got oh, yeah, that's I think, right you know, yeah, he's going to be there. And then uh, Pete, uh, I made one for him. And then he, he had some veterans that would like to have some canes. So I made a couple for him. In fact, one of them was Lou Vaca that was in uh, combat with him when, uh, Peter earned his medal. And so that's where we got started. So when we started having the, um, uh, the unveiling of the portraits of Ballinger, um, mm-hmm. I decided, you know, I'd like to do something for him because Drew wanted me to be in the advisory board. And I mm-hmm. told him, Drew, I, I don't like to go to meetings. I don't want to be on any, because when I retired, I was on 12 different boards and commissions. Uh, morning meetings, mm-hmm. noon meetings, nighttime meetings, weekend meetings. I told them I want to do something for the center, but this is what I can do.
4: Mm-hmm. And
2: so I I really got to where I, they improved it as time went by. But I concentrated on on using Osage orange because it is very strong strong wood, and beautiful since my fir- yeah since my first cane. Was made out of antler. I thought I'd I, I'd do that. Is 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 use antler and, and wood and then some pipestone, and then I got into the turquoise and they kept improving and and just doing different things and they they do take a long time. You know, several hours. I uh, I've probably made at least three dozen canes and I have uh-huh. sold I think two or three. And mm-hmm. I sold two or three, and but I see so far, sixteen of the Medal of Honor recipients have my canes, and well, I I just feel so privileged and honored that I am able to do this. You know who else gets to do something like that?
4: Yeah, they're and, beautiful.
2: And <clears throat> yeah, I I enjoy doing it and now. I made some pistol grips for some veterans, you know, for their forty fives. And in mm-hmm. fact I just I just finished making a set for Pete Lemon that he sent to his buddy Lou Vaca and uh so but I I really don't enjoy making them. I I like making them, but it's very stressful making the holes really accurate where they're supposed to be because if you don't get them just right, you might as well throw the grips away because they're not going to fit in the gun. So I yep. I do that. But uh, that is, I love making the canes. Like I said, I just get so much satisfaction out of being able to do something for these heroes.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I thought they were actual, at first, I thought they were talking sticks because I, you know, have never really seen too many of them. And, uh, yeah. you know, in the Native American culture, you know, they're, they're supposed right. to be, uh, whoever holds them um, is the one that can talk. And it's, you know, they're they're mm-hmm. supposed to share their sacred point of view. So I thought mm-hmm. that was pretty significant. Yeah. Yep.
2: Yeah. No, I never got into that. I did make some uh some some sticks for some of the Navajo co-talkers and mm-hmm. uh I it, it was really neat because I was doing a a sculpture exhibit and book signing presentation at uh, in Durango at Fort Lewis College. And there's this mm-hmm. guy, you know, has got some students there and uh he's telling them to help me out. and He's telling them to move this, do this, and do that. And when they got done, and and he said, I told him, I've got a book for you. And and you want to pay for it. And I said, no, you're not going to pay for it. You you, you really helped me out. He says, okay. He says, would you sign it for me on the cover? And I said, how come you want it on the cover? He says, because they're for my students. I want to show it to them, you know, that this book that you wrote. And it Mm -hmm. turned out that uh, he was one of the professors there. But not only that, he was Roger Willie. He was the one that played in that movie with Nicholas Cage on the Wind Talkers. And oh, wow. he was the flute player okay. he was the flute player in the movie. Wow. And, uh, and oh. what a what a nice guy, you know, and very, That's very down to earth. I I've worked with a lot of uh the Hollywood set and, and you know, and different personalities and the different politicians and uh you know they're Pretty much down to earth. Uh, there's a couple that I, I wouldn't, uh, the politicians that I wouldn't want to work with anymore, but uh, but most of them like were Jane pretty Potter? decent people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, I could take her off for a drive. <laughs> yeah. I think Governor, yeah. Governor
1: Roma comes to mind there.
2: Oh, yeah. And, 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 and Brother <laughs> Romer, my God. Uh, boy, this, yeah, we. We had a few battles. I can only <laughs> imagine.
4: I can yeah. imagine. I can only imagine. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. We had a I few battles.
1: Could you tell a tale about the table, Ruben?
2: Oh, the the table that, over at the fairgrounds?
4: Yeah. <laughs> Is that
2: the one you're talking about, Jeff? Yeah. Yeah, my, my, my wife and I were working at the fairgrounds where, uh, where the Latino Chamber. Uh, commerce for the fiesta day they they have all the vips the politicians and all that come to the uh to the tent and uh that's when uh bruce benson was running for governor and he had bought a table for him and his family and friends and uh so when when bruce showed up i told my wife i told Joan, you know why don't you take bruce over to you know to his table so she goes over there and she comes back and she says his table isn't there anymore. And I said, "Well, what do you mean?" Yeah, she says, uh, "Romer and his people are there." And I said, "What?" So I go over there, and they all got smirks on their faces. They had moved Benson's uh, placard over to this table that was over by the uh, the, the the tractors, the old John Deere crack tractors and where the engines were running and all that. And this guy that was on the state fair board standing there with a smirk on his face. And I told him, this is not Romer's table. I told him Romer's table is over there. You and your people will move And I I, I moved him out. I sent the governor and his people over to the other table and uh, they weren't very happy about it. So, uh, later on, we. We had some encounters where, uh, he, and, and you know what irked me about, uh, when we had, I had the problems with him when we arrested, no, we didn't arrest one of his buddies. We stopped him on the interstate and, and he felt that we were harassing him. And, and then he was, uh, the governor called me and told me I had to fire those officers and all that. And, and I told him, you're not telling me how to run my department. And, uh, so, uh, we had a a few uh, exchanges, but anyway, uh, it it uh, and he kept, he kept on it and on it. So uh, I uh, and then Ward got back to me. One of his uh, one of his henchmen got a hold of me, and he say tells me, you know, you you don't want to bring you know some bad stuff for for the city of Pueblo. You know, a little pressure on the city of Pueblo. Because of the way you're dealing with the governor and i and I, I went to uh the city manager and the city council and I, I i offered to turn in my resignation you know i told him i don't I don't want to bring any any policy to the city of pueblo and this, and you would not believe the response I got from the the community and and everybody i i congressman uh you name it i i was on the on the phone all night and then The next day, uh, my staff, I thought that they would be eager for me to leave, especially the deputy chiefs, because they could take over that job, and they didn't want me to leave. They said, if you leave, Romer won. And so, well, I told them, well, I've never backed up from from a fight, so I'll I'll stay, and uh, Mm – So a few days after I decided to stay, Romer gives me a call, and he says, you know, well, you know, this is all water under the bridge and all this and that. And I told him about his buddy Ben foul-mouthed and all this and that when he called the department. Oh, my buddy would never use me uh, foul-mouthed. And I told him, Governor, keep in mind when you call the police department, there is no expectation of privacy. And he said, Oh. So did that, and uh, so. uh, But uh, no, interesting. You know, just I. um, I loved the politics. I know. I loved going to court. I loved working. You know, going to arbitration in the unions and all that, because I've always loved a challenge. It's always been a challenge to me, and you know, to try to get your all ducks in a row, and uh, and it it always worked for me. I uh I fired our first black police officer, she was a female. I fired our first black clerk. I fired our first male clerk. And I got the backing from the NAACP on the firing of the black employees. The one that gave me the most problem was the was the male clerk. He took me all the way to the governor's office because nothing was ever his fault. In fact, when he showed up for his hearing, he showed up late, and we gave him the wrong time on purpose to look bad, to make him look bad. But it's, uh, we all
3: know finger pointers; it's everybody else's oh, fault yeah. for their own, right? Yep. Always
2: victimism, I call it. Uh, victimism. Everybody's yep. a victim. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nobody wants to take responsibility Uh, I
4: know one thing
2: (laughs) Go ahead
1: Alex I'm just saying uh, I I know one thing (laughs) You really had the support of the community And also Mm -hmm. the local newspaper down there The the chieftain The Pueblo chieftain Those people really had an outpouring of love for you They said that you were the most uh, Beloved police chief That they ever had in Pueblo
2: Right And I even the Denver Post, they did a great story on me when I decided to stay on the job uh, made uh, USA today and all that. But the way I did it is I used to meet on a regular basis with the, the reporters with all the reporters, uh, no holds barred, off the record. If they want to follow up something on the record afterwards they could. I would meet with the editorial board. Same thing periodically. Same thing with the television stations. With the staff, I would meet with them periodically, and, and 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 we would discuss anything that any concerns that they had. In fact, one time I was going to fire a police officer for sexual misconduct, and I let them know ahead of time, this is coming down the tube. And they said, we appreciate you letting us know. We wouldn't want to be in your shoes, but we appreciate <laughs> letting us know. Same thing with officer-involved shootings. Uh, I, I had really good backing from the uh, the news media and the community. I had one one lady that came in. She was a reporter for a TV station that came in. She was out in Nashville, and she was brand new, and, uh, and we had a – We had a ganger that got shot over on the east side, and she came in and she shoved that microphone in my face and started racism. This and that, and I refused to talk to her, I put her away, you know. And later on, I told people when she shows up, nobody talks to her. So, and I called the TV station, I told them, if you ever want to get any news from us, any information from us. You send anybody but that lady there, and, and it worked. I, uh, if they treated us unfairly, you know, I would let them know. Let them know. Uh, we had a newspaper report the same thing that uh, I called their boss right away, and we got things straightened out. But you know, you've got to be up on the up and up, and the worst thing you can tell the news media is no comment, because when you say no comment, you're hiding something. And what I would do is I would tell them this, this, and this, we can't tell you this and this because of this and this, and they would know what to expect you know you've got to have expectations and and it worked out well for us uh, we had some you know we had some uh we had some trying times like I say, we had some several officer involved shootings in fact, we had one where the uh the guy that got shot was not armed. But we still got some good backing from the witnesses and the community and and things like this. When we when I took over, we had some real bad gang problems. We were having boys and girls in their 14, 15 years old that were getting shot and killed. We put together a a gang unit and we made it very unfavorable to be a gang member or and but we buried the court in the and the judicial system and they and they yelled uncle so what we did we changed tactics and we started going after the gang leaders and uh and that worked out better one of my officers who was a veteran uh desert storm uh veteran uh he responded to a gang uh shooting i think it was And when he got there, I mean, that ganger opened up on him, fired several shots, and the officer returned fire. He fired several shots, hit him several times. Unfortunately, uh, he lived to sue us. But I get a call from the mother. Yeah, I get a call from the mother right away. And she says, you ought to teach your officers to shoot the gun out of their hands. (laughs) We were supposed to shoot We weren't supposed to shoot her son. We were, we were supposed to shoot the gun out of her hands. You know, she uh, obviously she'd been watching the old cowboy movies where they used to do that or,
6: or, or Chuck Norris. Yeah. And,
2: and I, and then the news media asked me about it. You know, how come, how come your officer shot that uh, person so many times I told them and, and they, 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 they accepted my explanation. I told them, I don't tell any of my officers to count their shots. If somebody's shooting at them, they will shot, shoot, as, fire as many times as it takes to bring that person down. And, and mm-hmm. whether they get it killed in the process, fine and not fine, but those officers are not paid to get, to get hurt or killed. So that's why they're gonna keep firing until that person start. You know, they get that person down. So.
3: But if you if you ask them to try to shoot something in the hand, I bet they wouldn't be able to do it themselves.
2: <laughs> no, uh-uh. and I was never a very good shot. That's how, That's why I always carried a sawed out shotgun with double-out buck. I uh, we got involved yeah. in the shooting up in Colorado Springs, and I was advising my rights up there. And uh, in fact, it was the Schmidt. He was the, the detective that worked on the. Um, what was the little girl that got killed up there in the family up there? The John Bonet case. He was one of the detectives oh, that. Oh yeah, that. Right. But, yeah
5: right. Yeah,
2: but he advised me on my rights up there, and he noted that in his report that I had a a sawed off shotgun. I had a Remington pump with a a sixteen inch barrel, and you yeah, know, and it was a pretty short yeah. barrel, but it worked good. It really worked well, good. Well, you never I, know when
3: you need to shoot those jazz hands.
2: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> And 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 while my first round was a slug that way I could shoot the gun out of their hand say and if I missed then the, the then the next one was double lot buck and that 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 would probably get them.
0: Mm-hmm. So I'm to ask you a question sir we've got sure. uh got a lot of uh, a, divi- a, di- a diverse audience uh so you know we have anywhere well, from uh, a lot of veterans that listen and some civilians um a lot of Gold Star family members and a lot of veterans family members that listen. And uh, we got right. some uh, ladies who are listening tonight um, concerned about personal defense. And that's not really something we, we've we talked about on the air before. And I know that that, right. that would be a good subject for Alex to cover. But mm-hmm. since we have a, a retired police chief on here, um, yes. what do you recommend for the ladies uh, who maybe live by themselves uh, and maybe live in some areas that are a little concerning? what's your recommendation for ladies uh, on defending themselves
2: on defending themselves? I tell anybody, you know, if they decide that they want a weapon, I tell them before you decide that you are going to purchase a weapon, you must be absolutely sure that you are willing to use it.
4: Mm -hmm. If you buy it, you know, just
2: to scare somebody, because, uh, uh, many of these people that buy a weapon, they hesitate, and while they're hesitating, that perpetrator is is going to use the weapon on them. And mm-hmm. what I recommend, exactly. and there, and there's a lot of there's a lot of people that are doing it, is going through the different courses, and uh, they have some great courses for concealed carry, and, and things like that. Um, and keep keep your doors locked. You know, I live here. And, and I've always got a, a weapon handy, but we keep our doors locked. No matter what time of the day it is, keep your doors locked. And if you don't know somebody out there, don't open it. And things like that, same thing. Uh, when you go out into a parking lot, make sure it's well lit. Make sure you have your uh, your key ready to get into your car. If you've got, mm-hmm. if you've got mace or pepper spray or whatever, and... Don't hesitate. I tell I I I tell my daughters if if you know if you can't if you don't have you <clears> know have a key to gouge their eyes out you use your nails you gouge your eyes out because if they can't see you maybe you can get away with them not only that but later on you'll be able to identify them. But yep. as far as carrying a weapon, I I don't believe in gun control, and to me, having to issue you a uh, a carry-in permit for concealed carry or whatever. To me, that is a form of gun control. When I was chief, and they'd come to me for a, a concealed carry permit, I would tell them I don't issue them. I told them if you feel that you need a we- use a weapon to have a weapon to protect yourself and your family, the least of your worries is if you have if you have to have that little card that says you can carry a weapon because what it boil, all boils down to, and even with police officers, is, a, is it a good shooting or a bad shooting? Were you justified in using it or not? And that's what it boils hey. down to.
5: <clears throat>
2: I was given a presentation and I, I used an example about this elderly lady, I guess she ain't so elderly now. I thought she was elderly before because she was 65. <laughs> for, mm-hmm. for me and Joe, that's really young. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> uh, they this guy tried to carjack her. I mean, this guy tried to carjack her and do a uh, carjacking. And I told the audience my only complaint about this lady. Is that she shot this guy with a twenty five caliber instead of a forty five. because he lived, and not only that, but later on, uh, he raped a, a lady. Wow. He, he, he got out, of there, but this happened later on. But that—that that is what I tell people. As far I—I I would recommend if, if you or feel that you need a weapon. First of all, make sure you feel that you would use it in case you ever have to and make sure that you're trained in it because when you go through that training, they give you all different scenarios, the you know, the what you can do, what you can't do, and things like that. But, uh, I, 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 in fact, I tell my wife, my children, I had two daughters, three daughters. I had three daughters, and every one of my daughters when they were young, they shot every one of my weapons except my forty four magnum. Mm-hmm. But I uh, they, they shot my revolvers, my semi autos and everything. The same thing with my wife, you know, they, they knew how to use those weapons and and you've gotta be familiar with what you got. If you get a gun and you don't know how to use it and you don't know if you're mm-hmm. gonna be able mm-hmm. to use it, why why have it? Yeah, I, I that's hope true, that answers but... your question, you know, but uh yeah. but that's that's
0: what I tell you. Yeah, Right. I, I, and, uh, I think that's uh, great advice, Ruben. And, uh, and you hit on the, the last part that, uh, that I would say to anybody, uh, you know, expert by any means, but uh, if, if you're going to carry a gun and you haven't shot it and you don't know what it's going to do, um, right. you're making a huge mistake. Uh-huh. You yeah, we, and, uh, 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 with any piece of equipment. Go ahead, Alex.
3: Um, well, I was on NBC for beating up my attacker, and my dad with three girls would always tell us sometimes you're the only help you'll get. Because sometimes, uh, you know, my friends, That's unfortunately, right. are there after the crime to write the report of how your body's laying or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yes, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, you have to uh, prepare. <laughs> you never know, know uh, when you need well, something until you need it.
2: Uh, how long is it going to take, you know, for that attacker to get to you? How long is it going to take for the police to get to you when you dial, ni- yeah. if you can dial 911 or whatever? How long is it going to take? Uh, that's,
3: and they and they definitely want to get there. And being a female, I mean, you're a soft target, so they're going to go after things right. that they think is going to be an easy target. So yeah, and, I, I like. Really, I was surprised, my guy.
2: <laughs> yeah, you you really they uh, really uh, yeah.
1: When you were getting all that moral support from the public, uh, I recall there was one young gentleman that sent you a letter. Uh, I think you know the one I'm talking about. He uh, he couldn't get out to give you that letter. You know who I'm speaking about?
2: Oh, oh yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> it's it's a it's a guy that was pulling robberies all along I-25 from Denver to Pueblo. And
4: what?
2: We got yeah. He was pulling robberies. He was hitting steakhouses, and so well we we set up. For him were, uh we were going to set up well we figured out we we're going to kill him. That's what we're going to do because you know we knew he carried a sawed off shotgun and so up mm-hmm. in uh, he he hit the steakhouse up in Colorado Springs him and this other guy and the, the guy that went with him he was a first time robber. It was his first time and he was the one that got killed during the robbery and this other guy got away and we, uh, arrested him later on. And, um, uh, and he went to prison. And oh. when I was having, when I was having my problems with the governor, I got mm-hmm. a letter from him. He says, chief, he says, he says, you give him hell. He says, you don't back off from the governor. You're doing a good job and on and on and can you imagine that getting a letter from somebody like that?
5: <laughs>
2: a letter of support. Yeah. 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 And I saved all these notes and all these letters because uh the the, the support was just so unbelievable. When I, mm-hmm. I I went up to Denver, one of my buddies was uh uh getting he uh Got selected for been on the uh, Supreme Court, the state Supreme Court, and they were going to go through the ceremonies up there. And I'm sitting there and uh, this reporter that was working out of the Denver office comes up to me and he says, "Uh, I just had a meeting. This is when I was having my problems with the governor. And he says, I just got out of a meeting with the governor. He says uh, he wanted to know about you. And he says, well, I said, what do you mean? He says, well, tell me about Reuben, you know. He said, well, he says, he's probably the most influential Hispanic <laughs> in southern Colorado. And he, saw, he says, I saw his political ears perk up. And and that's when he called me the next day and told me about it's all water under the bridge and all this and that. But one of the things that I remember. That's
3: called standing is, down. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. One of the things, one of the guys that I fired, he got a hold of me and he says and and I he was the least I, mean, I I never expected a call from him, but he says I just got a call and from this guy, it was the same guy that told me that I shouldn't be messing with the governor. He says I just got a call from this guy and he knew that you fired me. And he wanted me to give him some dirt on you, and so. Uh, but he says I, I don't, I don't have any dirt on you, and I wouldn't tell him if I did. But you know that's that's what you see going on. You know, you see that on TV now. But you know it was going on then. But you know they were a lot more subtle. But uh, it's. Uh, but well, I survived. And, and you,
6: you you talk. You talked earlier about, you know, the, uh, Alex asked a question about, you know, the difference in today's world. And you know, I think part of it is, yep. you know, back in those days, the news media, you know, wanted to keep everything hush-hush a lot, as opposed to nowadays, <clears throat> people are out there with, right. their, with their cameras. You know, there was just right. another, another, you know, fight on an aircraft. Um, and right. rather than going to help, all you see is people with their cell phones. Taking pictures oh, of yeah. things rather than yeah, uh-huh. rather than being involved as, as a concerned citizen. Right.
3: What is that psychology and called? There is a psychology that goes yeah.
2: to that, right? Where people know, are see.
3: just stand by and let things happen. Yeah, there's an actual yeah. psychology.
2: Yeah, it's fifteen minutes of glory it's called or something like that.
5: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> AKA so, yeah. Waka. Uh,
2: yeah. But, but you know is- reporters okay, aren't reporters anymore. You know they don't report the news; they make the news, mm-hmm. and that's what's really uh, bad. That's a
4: good way and, about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: and there's you know there's no ethics involved as far as well. No, it doesn't just apply oh. to reporters. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. everybody, politicians, cops. You know, and you hear about. Look at, I I look at what's going on with this policeman. Some of the people that they've shot, my mm-hmm. gosh! You know, we could only shoot and the law was changed but when i came on the department you could shoot at a fleeing felon even if he wasn't doing anything to you if he was like say he's a burglar you know which is a felony you could shoot mm-hmm. him if he was taken off on you uh i mean and 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 the people that know common sense you you can't teach common sense for one but you mm-hmm. you get some of these these people that are are becoming police officers you have a heck of a time finding hiring a, a person that has not done drugs before. You try to find somebody like that, and you wouldn't be able to hire anybody. And uh, we were getting some of these kids that we were hiring. Mom and Dad were going to the to the police equipment place and buying their gun for them and their uniforms and and and, and stuff like that. My gosh, it's uh, how things have changed.
3: Yeah, and I think a lot of the media like to uh, form their own – without looking at all the facts, they like to uh, just assume uh, it's always going to be the uh, the one with the gun who's wrong or, you know, they always yeah. say that uh, – like when Obama um, – I remember when Obama was like, oh, if Trayvon was – you know, uh, he'd be like my son, but they didn't get all the facts. You know, it's still, instead of like yeah, sensationalizing right. and making up uh, your yeah. opinion – Wait till you hear the facts and then say something. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
2: he did the same thing with with that professor. Remember when he criticized that police officer and they said, let's get together and have a beer. But, you know, (laughs) uh, and that's what makes all the news. You've got black comedians and black actors that have said, you know, if a police officer tells you to stop, you stop. I mean, don't yeah. be out there committing mm-hmm. a crime. Don't pull a gun on him or anything. You stop, and, 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 and that's it. And I don't care what color you are. Uh, people mm-hmm. complain because, oh, he was a teenager. Well, you know, if you're dead, it doesn't really matter if you're a teenager or you're an adult. You're still dead,
4: mm-hmm. and that
2: family is not is going to have their mom or dad coming home to support them or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, what about the people Robin? who
3: say, "Hey, what's your badge number? Um, I pay, I pay for your, uh, I pay for your, uh, you know, mm-hmm. salary, yeah. blah blah blah." I'm like, hey, you have to oh, pay
4: taxes yeah. first. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Robin, you you've yeah. had a, an interesting career, and you came from some humble background, and uh, you've educated yourself. In fact, I don't think you have mentioned it before, but you graduated the FBI Academy. What words of wisdom do you have for these these young kids that are uh, not as in in a humble uh,
2: position as you were when you were a child?
1: What words of wisdom do you have for them
2: to succeed in life? I, I used to have parents bring their kids in to talk to me and, you know, trying to decide what they want to do, whether they want to be law enforcement or whatever. And the first thing I would tell them is finish your education. And if you wanna go into law enforcement, if you want to go into law enforcement, get your degree first. Get your four year degree because if you decide that you don't want to be in law enforcement, at least you got something to fall back on. And if you do go into law enforcement, you could if you got a degree, you can go FBI, Secret Service, and all these federal agencies that you know that have fantastic Opportunity and benefits. I I spoke to my uh, high school when I was chief of police. They had me speak down there, and that gymnasium was standing room only. My gosh, I was mm-hmm. I was I couldn't believe it. But what I told those kids, you know, when you know on your way up when you get up there, you and, and the way you get up there. You have to try twice as hard and be twice as good as the person next to you because that will give you an edge. And when you do get up there, you reach back and you help somebody out. Grab their hand and you help somebody else because that's the way the person's going to get up there because I have people helping me, and that's why I believe in helping people because I, I had some good support. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
5: but
1: how would you how would you approach them on how to get around their peer pressure down there? The ones that tell them, ah, oh, you don't want to go in that direction oh, there.
2: You know, that's uh, I, particularly I, in, the, in the
1: black kids. <clears throat> let me
2: let me give yeah, let me give an example. You know, I grew up in an in a, an adobe house with mm-hmm. a dirt roof, and we had no indoor plumbing. We had an outhouse and, and things like that, and we didn't even have a refrigerator because we had no electrical outlets in the house. We had, you know, the cord hanging down from the, from the ceiling with a light bulb. And that was it. Mm -hmm. But, and then I used to work in the lettuce fields, uh, during the summer. uh, I used to work nine hours a day, six and a half days a week. And we, uh, I got 35 cents an hour. And when I was working out there with that little short handle hoe, uh, you know, hauling the letters and things like that. I told these guys, I I, I said, you know, I'm not going to be doing this my whole life. I told them one of those days I'm going to be working in an office. And, man, did I get harassed.
4: <laughs> and, in fact,
2: one of, one of them told me, he says, what's the matter with you? You're going to be here the rest of your life just like uh, the rest of us Mexicans, he told me. <laughs> and I told him, no way. And so when I went in the service, I volunteered for every school there was. You know, I went through anti-submarine warfare school. I went through nuclear defense school and just all this different things. Same thing on the department. I And I made rank real fast. Same thing on the department. I remember I upset this, this one guy that he'd been on the department, uh, 20 years, and he still hadn't made sergeant. My first time I went for sergeant, and when you got half a seniority point per year to your uh, to your test grade, for each year that you were on the department, you got half a point. And I still beat this guy, and I'd only had four years on the department. And I still mm-hmm. beat him because it's how bad you want it, how much you want to study. Now, when I was studying for promotion for weeks ahead of time, I would lock myself up and just study, 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 and it paid off. And yeah. you, you just have to want it bad enough. Yeah, yeah, dude. You
1: have to apply yourself, and
2: uh, you, you do a lot of things
1: to. that others weren't willing to do.
2: Yep. And you know, and always with the opinion, you know, yeah. There's no freebies. There's no freebies. You got to work for it, and uh, on. Unless you've got the right connections and you know, most of us don't have the right connections. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and
5: and yeah, it, sure. it it
2: makes me feel good when I see people like that that, that succeed, you know, that mm-hmm. uh, I used to see this kid that I used to watch, you know, for for eight hours there at the community centers and they used to tick me off because I was babysitting them for eight for eight hours while mom and dad were over at the bar drinking. Yeah, and it would upset me, but at least I had them for eight hours because you know mm-hmm. a lot of them were starting out with you know with three strikes against them. You know, by the time they they went out there and and into the real world. But well, you know, I, I think
1: that's probably the reason I, I like you so much, there, uh, Ruben, is you and I <coughs> have some a lot of similarities in our upbringing and our education. Uh, right. I volunteered for every job that nobody else wanted. I went to every school that I was offered, and it paid off in the long run. You know? Yeah. So I admire you for yeah. that, and I greatly admire you for that.
2: And we both like good spicy food.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <All right. laughs> uh, don't, uh,
1: don't tell Alex that there. She has to watch her girlish figure.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's well, – you know. Jeff watches his girlish figure. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I, gotta I keep, gave I, up on I, mine I, a long know. time ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ruben, oh, we I definitely been wanted to, to so chime in on something, something you said, sir. Don't
3: Well, all you can Korean okay, yeah. restaurant?
2: Well, well oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, don't count on me for kimchi. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm, down,
0: I'm definitely I'm down for the kimchi. I'll eat the kimchi.
1: Oh, I will have Henry healing along with kimchi. That's yeah, between me and
0: Hershey, I think we'll take everybody else's kimchi. We'll take care of that.
6: Oh, okay. You guys uh, haven't right. met Henry
0: yet. Wait, wait till you see
6: Henry. Oh, oh.
3: Henry, <laughs> Henry, oh, Henry, yeah.
6: have <laughs> <I, laughs>
2: I've known Henry for a while.
6: <laughs> he uh-huh. likes his
2: kimchi, doesn't oh, he? You oh, know, yeah, he, he knows. Knows. Yeah, and,
6: uh, and That answer with it with a glazed donut tracer tracer or chaser, whatever they call it. We're bring them glazed donuts on Friday. Yeah. yeah.
2: What's really funny is uh when Pete Lemon comes down from Springs to go eat at the pantry, he always reserves a couple of long johns at the uh bakery next door because, I mean they go fast. That that mm-hmm. that bakery there does a heck of a business, but he'll uh He'll uh, reserve a couple of long johns for us because they're so good. Mm-hmm. Last last week we went in there and he tells the lady, he says, uh, my name is Pete Lemon. He says, I reserved, you know, long. And I guess she heard him wrong because... <laughs> She said, oh, yeah. She gives him this lemon cake. Gives him this lemon cake.
4: <laughs> and he said, no.
2: My name's Lemon. I, I've got some long.
4: on <laughs> Yeah. Uh, He's always
3: like, glaze on, glaze off.
6: Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah that's hysterical. But, but you, you, know, hit on, I, you hit on You something I, that I wanted to... Sorry, Major. Sure. Yes. You hit on something I think that's uh, very important, Ruben, uh, and, it, you know, I, I love our brothers in blue, I respect yep. each and every one of them, but you hit something, uh, you hit on something that I think a, a lot, not not a lot, but there's a majority of, uh, of law enforcement officers that have forgotten about that um, community policing uh, and being that mentor like you talked about and mentoring yep. uh, the kids. Um, and not in any way, shape, or form to you know discredit or talk down about our brothers in blue, but I think that yeah. that's such an important thing. And to hear a man of your stature that and tee in on and make that such a point is that is what makes a difference. Is it, you know you see is, the officers you know, be- that go out.
2: Yeah, because you know when uh, we got a uh, Bud Willoughby from Kansas City, he really hit big on community policing and one of the biggest problems that we have now is we don't have the walking beats we don't have the police officers Mm -hmm. that get out of their cars now and they got to walk around the community and all that and and we've got we've lost that person-to-person contact but on the other hand is that everybody is working so short-handed they're just going from call to call to call. And we're going through that over here. I, I had, uh, 200 sworn officers when I was a chief here. Uh, Oh, and we had a hundred and some thousand calls for, uh, for service per year, and they're getting way more than that now. And when I was talking to this one officer a while back, they had 170, some officers working. And he was showing me on his computer there in the car. He says, Chief Lucky says, these are the calls we have waiting. And it it's it's mm-hmm. not but that's where we you're right, that's where we've lost a lot of it is you don't have that person to person contact because when you did that community policing, you did it on a positive level and it wasn't negative. You know, we you, you were you weren't just reacting to the situation. You were there and you were talking with people where they would get to trust you and mm-hmm. where you you, you you had some r- rapport with them and they knew who to call or whatever, who they could trust. And that's one of the things that worked for me because I attended a lot of community meetings. I wasn't afraid to attend. Them. I had a uh, he was um, an Hispanic activist. And he, he, when I when I put this gang unit together, he says uh, he says we've got a problem. He says we have people in the Hispanic community that are concerned that you that all these gangs that you, gangers and things that you're arresting that most of them are Hispanic. And I told him, well, why don't you get a hold of those concerned citizens and we'll have a meeting. And he did, and, and we met up at the university. And the first thing I told them before we started, let's stick to facts. Number one is who are the gangers? Who's doing the shooting? Who's doing the property damage? And who's doing getting involved in all these crimes? They're Hispanics, may, mostly. Okay, now, who's getting their da- property damaged? Who's getting shot and injured? Mostly Hispanics. I told them... You want me to go, you know, arrest some some white person over at at an an affluent neighborhood just to make everybody feel better? I told him, the first thing you need to do is just like an alcoholic, you have to admit that you've got a problem. First, you have to admit that. And when you admit that you've got a problem, then you have to make it a community problem. It's not an Hispanic problem. Because if you make it an Hispanic problem, the people in these affluent neighborhoods that don't have any problems, they're going to say, "Hey, let those Mexicans kill each other. We don't care." And I told them that what you need to do is you need to make it a, a community problem where it will involve the whole community, and that silenced them. So,
0: <clears throat> are you still there? Yeah, I think Ruben, okay, you know I that heard a, a beat? uh don't want to uh, – that might have been on my computer, Sergeant Major. I definitely oh, okay. don't want to uh, draw any correlations to you uh, in a negative way with Sheriff Buford Pusser. Um, but I definitely think yeah. that, uh, you know, El Jefe definitely carries a – walks off with the big stick. So, uh, you know, that – Right, You remind me so much yeah. of that in the way you're, you're talking yeah. and then talking about the, the way that you worked. And, then you know, that was – that's huge yeah. because people knew yeah. that and you meant business. And, and they just know like you were talking that, about policing. Yeah,
2: and, and, and I'll it tell was, them, you know, I, I'll treat you or you treat my officers, and I'll, if you treat me with respect, I will treat you with respect. If you act like an a-hole, and I don't care who you are, if you're a councilman or whatever, uh, you, that's the way you're going to be treated. If you act that way, I we'll
3: just be a councilman. <clears throat> <A-hole. laughs>
4: yeah. Yes. <yeah.
2: laughs> For uh, when I retired, the city manager took me up there. He says, "Can you believe that I made this guy chief of police, even though he sent one of his police officers to give me a ticket when I was laying in the bed in, in the hospital?" He was involved in an accident and, and the, uh, the, the officer, the officer comes to me. I was, I think I was a captain then. And he says, uh, captain, he says, we got a problem. The city manager was involved in an accident. And I said, okay, whose fault was it? And he said, it was his. I said, is he okay? Well, he's in the hospital. I told him it was his fault. You go give him a ticket. He said, what? I said, you will give him a ticket. And he did, you know. And uh, <laughs> I, I got tickets when my wife got a ticket when I was chief, and she had to go to court. And uh, so,
6: she, and she, one she, of the po- she needs the her she needs the her to get out of jail, you know, medal of honor. <laughs> she didn't have please. a medal
2: of honor placard. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, uh, <clears throat> uh, I had a cousin that was a police officer. Besides being a jerk. Uh, he gave me a ticket, uh, and he oh he said oh geez I didn't know that was your car. He knew it was my car, and some people uh one of their bombers lost an engine east of uh, town here uh, at the bombing range over there by Lamar Lahana wherever it was, and so they landed over here and, and we were guarding their plane, and when the 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 crew got here. Uh, they didn't have any clothes or a place to stay or anything, and I was involved with the employer for support for the Guard and Reserve at the time, and I was in the military affairs committee too. And, and I went there, and I and I met them and greeted them. I gave them a ride, took them into a hotel, took them to Walmart, and they bought some clothes to wear while they were here. But when they got their engine put back on, uh, I took him back and w- helped him with their bags, and I went in with them. And I was must have been in there a couple of minutes just saying goodbye and all. I come back, and I've got a ticket on my car, parking ticket, and it was that jerk cousin of mine that did it. <laughs> and, oh, he said, he said, oh, Chief, oh, I funny. didn't know that was your car. And he says, but I'll tear it up. I told him, you're not tearing it up. I am going to pay it. And I paid. I paid my parking ticket. When we went to the Air Force, Air Force FBI National Academy, we re- trained her down in uh, in Los Angeles. We stopped and we stayed at the uh, Circus Circus uh, in Vegas. And when we went to leave, they said, the guy said, oh, your t- your, your, all your expenses have been taken care of. And I said, what? He says, yeah, your friend from Pueblo, he took care of that. And I told him. Nobody's taking care of my expenses for me, and I told him. In fact, I want receipts, and I think at the time I was a state grand jury investigator, and and I took those receipts and I took them to the uh, to the district attorney and I and I gave him the copies because I didn't want anything coming back on me. And I expected that of my officers. I uh, uh, I had uh, the guy from East Coast Pizza here. He was from uh, back east somewhere. And I found out he was giving breaks to the officers, discounts and all this and that, to the police officers, because they were police officers. So I contacted him, and I told him they get paid good wages. You know, they pay the full price. You don't give them any breaks. And he says, well, uh, 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 not to be, he says, uh, I, uh, with all due respect, chief, says, yeah, he says, you can't tell me how to run my business. And, and I told them, I know I can't tell you how to run your business, but I am going to tell my officers that they will no longer come to your shop. And, and that, that put a stop to it. I, I got in trouble with one of the crooked um, captains that we had down there when I was walking the beat because there was this bar <coughs> that was notorious for um, – serving drinks after hours. At 2 a.m., they would start serving drinks and coffee cups. And uh, when I was walking the beat there, it really irked them because I paid for my own food. The other beat cups, they would get served for free there. And I paid for my own food. And when they broke out the coffee cups, I made them put them away. And I didn't, it didn't take very long before that captain called me in and he says, how do you like walking Good. the beat? Puts his arm around me and I said, Oh, great, great, Captain. I'm keeping him squirt away. He says, That's fine, fine. He says, by the way, tomorrow you start working traffic. So I got pulled out of there, you know. But it uh, and they try to ensnare me. They they try to, you know, try to get me to drink on duty and and, and things like that, and, and I, I wouldn't do it. <clears throat>
1: Interesting. Yeah, Ruben, uh would you like yeah. to comment on the situation in New York City where they they have a problem with the mayor and the police. Uh they, I just checked on the internet to make sure my, my figures are right, but arrests in nineteen in two thousand and sixteen were down sixty six percent. Boy, that's that, that's uh that's a terrible figure.
2: Yeah. Oh, and and that's because, you know, they, they stopped the stop-and-frisk law. You know, you can't do mm-hmm. it now. You can't do it now. And, you know, cops are street wise. And, in fact, some of them mm-hmm. were probably lunks before, so they know what's going on. And if you mm-hmm. see some – and if these guys that are walking the streets and they know they're apt to be stopped and frisked, they ain't going to be packing any guns. But yeah. now they know mm-hmm. you can't touch them. Now they know all you got to do is, is say, oh, police brutality, or you're picking on me, and and things like that. I mean, and they've got you over a barrel. What are you gonna do? You're yeah. in a, a a situation where you just can't win. And naturally, the the arrest the the officers aren't going to arrest many people because they don't want to yeah. get into trouble. Um, yeah. My my
4: graveyard crew and
2: my right. My graveyard crew and my afternoon crew—you know—were the ones that I used to get the most complaints on. But they're the ones that were making arrests, they were in, in the fights, the disturbances, and all this and that. But and I, well, I and I used to discipline some of them. But you know, when I had my problems with the governor, when I tried to to resign, those two shifts were the first ones to come and support me. And in fact, they called me during the night. And my troops told me, when you walk out, we walk out. Well,
1: uh, so you, wait, know, it, you it's, know, it's like any other large organization, <clears throat> even the military. Uh, it's a question of leadership. Uh, if the troops know that they have the leadership uh, that, that backing them, uh, they'll go to the end of the earth <clears throat> for them. But if they don't, right. they're going to slough off.
2: Yeah, right. And I used to tell them, hey, you do your job, and I will leave you alone. I'm not go- I'm not a micromanager. You do mm-hmm. your job, and if you screw up while you're trying to do your job, I will work with you. Yeah. If you screw up or you're screwing around or or you're not doing your job, then mm-hmm. you I will deal with you. And it and it was really good, and they 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 enjoy. But you know my my biggest problem was when I when I went from I guess you would like be military would be enlisting enlisted to commissioned officer. You know, when I made captain, mm-hmm. uh, they sent us, <laughs> they sent this guy as a spokesman for the troops. They told me, uh, captain, he says, you're not one of the guys anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they said, you, you make them feel uneasy when you show up. So I don't mm-hmm. fine, because I used to like to get involved, you know, I I caught more armed robbers than the, probably the rest of the troops put together, you know. So uh, it it was just I I loved being out there in the action, but uh, but the guys knew that they would get my back, and you know they were doing their job.
4: Yeah, that's it.
2: That's very very important. Yeah, yeah. They 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 knew they had to have support. Uh, and in fact, when I first made chief, I. Friday afternoons were for attitude adjustment time. That's when I had my disciplinary hearings. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> and and with that previous chief, the one that got canned out of here, the union attorney was making a fortune. He was making a fortune because there were so many grievances and all that filed. And he showed up when I, I, I was dis- going to discipline uh, one of the dispatchers. And he showed up with a. And when we got done with the disciplinary hearing, I told her what, was, what the, the outcome was going to be. <laughs> and she comes up to me, and she apologizes and kisses me on the cheek. <laughs> and that attorney shakes his head. He says, you're really bad for business. <laughs> yeah. You're just a charismatic
1: uh, guy. That's why. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but, uh, and I have one dispatcher that told me, are you going to make me cry again? Because... She tried really hard, but you know that Peter Principle. You know she'd 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 reached her peak. You know, and poor thing just grew up. You know, and go. Uh, but uh, now it's okay. But you know it's the same in the military. It's it's the same in the military. You you you've got you don't lead from behind. I think I've heard that before.
4: Yeah. Yeah, a couple times. A couple. Times.
2: Unless yeah, Caitlyn
3: Jenner. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Sorry how to say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: So, no, it's uh and, and but you know things have changed all over. It's not just in law enforcement or military, it's uh private businesses. They uh the the people that are coming to the workforce now they don't have any people skills. Uh they don't know how to make eye contact. They don't know or work ethic. They they quit and they don't tell anybody they're quitting. They they call off sick or or they don't show up for work. And one of them, this friend of mine that had uh, several uh, McDonald franchises, he got a hold of this kid. And he says, "How come you even go to work? Come to work." He says, "Oh, I went fishing. My buddy wanted me to go fishing with him. You know, stuff like that." <clears throat> yeah, and uh, it's yeah, um, it's it's just not there anymore. <clears throat> no the word itself yeah and and i i don't see any short range solution because this has been years in the making i and i see it coming from the 60s you know what do whatever you want you know uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and do it there and these these kids is uh and it became Went to college. Now there, you know, there are politicians, and and now they're too busy for the, ki- the kids. You know, they give them the 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 games. You know, the, the yeah, go play your game and whatever. You know, and <clears throat> just like those two well, kids those- that were involved in the in the in the Columbine massacre, there, uh, they weren't really bad kids, you know, but mom and dad were just too busy for them. They just didn't pay attention to what these kids were doing.
1: No, it, it's it's sad, you know. Most of those hippies now are in, in uh, positions, like you say, in, in politics, and uh, but a great majority of them are, are in uh, colleges,
2: and they're teaching right. these kids, uh, and that's oh, that's sad. And
1: these kids no, are swallowing that stuff.
2: They are you know and that's and that's an indoctrination centers is what they are and they're yeah. and it's slowly going in, down into the schools and that's what's really scary that's what mm-hmm. re- really scares me i uh <clears throat> and and the kids you know they try to stand up to the professors or whatever you know they they're going to flunk them out or kick them out of school or whatever yeah. you know uh when i started college i was I was twenty-one, so I was a little more mature than the the kids starting there. And I remember this uh, this one professor. I told her, just because you're the professor, doesn't mean you're always right. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. know, I got Fs for a while, but we got to straighten that to where we we I managed to pass the course. But uh, but yep. I mean, I feel sorry for these kids now that are that are are conservative, they're patriots, you know they're uh they believe in some of the war ethic and uh, and things like that, and respect and all that, but you know the, that's frowned on now, yeah, yeah, it's sad, really sad yeah, it yeah. is, yeah. but you know uh. Alex, you're you're a lot younger than we are. What do you think about all this stuff going on now?
0: Way to as suck up! As Way as to suck up, up, Ruben. <laughs> 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 you better be I, so I, glad I, you're
3: far away, CJ. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I don't know how old you are, CJ, but I, I know Jeff, and Jeff looks pretty young to me.
6: Yeah. You need my gla- and I'm going to give you a new pair of my glasses. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but, but you know, you know when when I went in the navy, my dad was forty years old, and I thought he was a really old man.
4: Oh yeah, <laughs> I thought
2: he, I thought he was really old, and my gosh, that mm-hmm. is young. Yep. Yeah. Yep. No kidding. It's but, funny. You know, uh, I, uh, okay. Go ahead, Alex. Uh,
3: I was going to say it's really funny, but one of my close friends um, who was one of the architects for Area 51 and was also in the Korean War, he looks at me Uh one day and he just goes, Oh my God, I never thought I'd live this long. He's just like, Why am I still here? (laughs) I'm like, What are you talking about?
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's so funny. Yeah, and you know, I. I've got kids that are approaching their fifties now and I thinking, Oh my gosh, I am really old, you know? And, uh, <laughs> but you know, I, so I, I didn't expect to live this long. And let me tell you why both sides of my family, my mom's and my dad's, uh, if the Lord didn't get them, the booze did. Mm. I mean, and it was a matter of which, which went out first, you know, they their heart or their liver uh my dad's heart went out first, and my mom's uh her liver went out you know, and I lost them when they were in their fifties uh uh my relatives you know late forties mid fifties uh i I'm lucky that I didn't become an alcoholic as I say both sides of my family lots of alcoholism uh <clears throat> mm-hmm. I drank a lot in high school. I drank a lot, uh, even more in in, in the service and then going to college, you know, I, I, I majored in cafeteria with a minor in sorority and the rest of the time I spent partying, you know, but I, I drank a lot in college and the, the only thing that really saved me or straightened me out was, was my wife meeting my wife Joan and uh, mm-hmm. and and getting on the police department, or I, I know where I would have wound up, because I used to do some crazy stuff. I I used to love to drink and fight. I, uh, oh, <laughs> I I was telling this uh, friend of ours. She's a banker, and I, and I told her Alice. You know, I was telling her about how I like to drink and fight, and I told him and I told. Her, As you can probably tell, you know, I didn't win all my fights. (laughs) And and, and the way I look, boy, she says, you must have lost a lot of them. (laughs)
4: Uh,
2: But I used to to love to drink and fight, you know, but I, yeah, Joan and the police department straight squared me away.
5: Oh,
3: they kept you from the job at the (laughs) (laughs) UFC.
2: And in fact... Uh, my my deputy chief and my chief made me get married, because my oh, wow. my my chief the chief called me in. You know what really saved me. You know, with all of those, a lot of those people been crooks. You know, what saved me is I went to college with the chief's son, the deputy chief's son, and the crooked captain's daughter, and my folks were friends with one of the captains, and they were friends with one of our congressmen here in town. But the chief called me in and told me, you quit going out there and raising hell, drinking and fighting. He says, you're going to get in trouble. I said, okay, chief, I'll I'll quit. You know, so uh, then I I guess they heard about me again, and the deputy chief called me in. He says, we're going to can you. We're going to fire you the way you're going. He says, you're going with a nice girl there. He says, why don't you marry her? And I told mm-hmm. him, chief, I told him, we plan on getting married, but at the time you couldn't take any vacation when you're on probation. And I told him, I don't get off probation till the end of October. And he says, tell you what? He says, you marry that girl and I'll give you the time off. And Joan and I had a June, a June wedding. And I and that that straightened me out. So it's... uh. I, i've been very fortunate you know that song by garth brooks thank god for unanswered prayers yep. mm-hmm. there you go. many many examples for that many examples uh one of them is i could have wound up in flight school when i was going to college tested for that another one i i, I volunteered for a river patrol boat duty when i was uh training recruits up at great lakes got uh Good recommendation. Never got orders, but you know, just just things like that that you looked at didn't happen, and where you wind up, where you did. Mm-hmm. And uh that's. I tell you what, I kept my archangel very, very busy.
3: <laughs>
2: is it is, is it archangel? What the, what's the, what's the angel? Mm-hmm. Joy, yeah. you probably know. Yeah. I don't know, and, and, but anyway, yeah, pretty busy. Also, <laughs> you know, I wouldn't be around. Yeah, but you know, and uh, and uh, you know, when we when I was going to college, <clears throat> I I joined the veterans club. It was a very powerful organization. And you're talking about, and I started college in '66, and we wore the the blazers with a low, an emblem on the pocket and and a white shirt with a thin black tie. It was thin black ties at the time. And the black pants it was like a uniform, and then we had all the art majors and uh, and uh, the the uh, drama majors and all. There were our long hairs and all that. But you know, we never had any problems with them.
4: <clears throat>
2: Excuse me. And I don't know if it's because Pueblo is such a unique community, very close knit, mm-hmm. very very patriotic. But, you know, you'd see us there sitting with all the, the long hairs and all having a good old time, and we never, ever got hassled. And and same thing, and you still don't hear much about people getting hassled here in Pueblo, you know, that, you know, you can't hire a vet or things like that. And uh, a lot of respect for veterans in this community. And I'm sure other communities are the same, but what you hear is when something happens, and, and things like that, and it's and if it happens just once, yeah, it's bad. It's bad. But I, speaking for our our community, we're very patriotic, and I I I can truly say that I I never experienced that. Never experienced that, or any of my my buddies that were in the military, we never experienced that. Where they 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 held it against us, we were sort of a little leery. Yeah, because when we we heard about all the things that were going on and, <clears throat> and things like that, but uh, uh never experienced any of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't put you guys to sleep, did I? No, no, not no, no, not at all. I
1: was waiting for somebody else Very to pass in there. I didn't want to hog too much
2: time. Uh, yeah, but anyway, as you can tell, I I, I like to talk. I like to talk. And I, I mean, you're good at well, it. Well, you've lived three
3: life. Well, that and plus you've literally lived three lifetimes in one. I don't know anybody oh, who hmm. could say that they've been in two services, a police chief, and doing all the things that you do yes. to continue in in the community. Yeah, I I tell
2: people like. Yeah, I tell people, you know, I I don't have time to get old. I don't have time to be sick. I I you know I I watch the ten o'clock news at night, and a lot of the times I'm up by three three thirty in the morning. Mm-hmm. My newspaper gets here at three thirty, and I do the crossword. I uh, have my coffee, and then I, I get on the computer and go through all my emails and. And I, and all that and, and I sometimes I'm out working in the garage if I've got a project going I I'll be out there working when Joan gets up because she gets up early to around five thirty or six or something like that but I will already be working out there because you know just plenty to do I uh, I was a little concerned when I was going to retire that I I might not have much to do what what am I going to do but I'll tell you. It's been a whirlwind and, and fortunately I can pick and choose what I want to get involved in and but I, I won't do any more boards or committees or commissions and, and Bob Rawlings the 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 editor from the newspaper that owned the only newspaper he was always trying to get me to get into politics. <clears throat> He'd call me when uh when uh Campbell was looking at uh Doing something else, and and uh, McGinnis Scott McGinnis, you know, uh, Bob Rawlings called me. He says, "Why don't you run for this office, or that office?" He says, "You've already got the name recognition, and we will support you. You'll you'll get all the help you want." And and I told him, Bob, I I I don't want to go into politics. I've seen some really good people that go to Washington and And you know, and they go down the tubes, you know they uh it's a but if you want to survive there in washington uh you, you, it's too bad you can't compromise without compromising yourself, what you believe in, but that's that's the way it happens it it corrupts people it really does mm-hmm. Like I say, I, I had some good friends that went to Washington. You know, they became senators or congressmen, and they really changed. And I was very disappointed in them. Yeah, very disappointed. There's mm-hmm. something
1: about Washington that does uh, things to people there that uh, they go there with all good intentions, but they never seem to be able to and, follow
2: through, and I could be just a system well, there. Yeah. Well, you won't survive if you try to go there with good intentions because it's yeah. you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours, or else forget it. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that's our, the scratch back is okay, Ruben, as long as it doesn't hurt the people in the country.
5: And unfortunately, well, the
1: back
2: scratching up there is hurting our country. Well, it's it's anymore. It's just about the party. It's not about the people that yeah. they're representing them, and it's uh. And they're never gonna get anything done. And it's mm-hmm. uh and we're we're the ones that suffer for it. Yeah. We we speaking we really of are. suffering
1: the uh, the Secretary of the Navy, I believe, I forget what his name was, in eighteen ninety seven he asked Congress for funds to visit our fleet there out in San Francisco
4: and uh-huh. they refused
1: to give him the funds. And he hitchhiked all the way to San Francisco. Yeah. Now that was Congressman
2: In those days they were there to do a job. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that, but I was pretty young though. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, no, things things have changed. Really changed. Yeah, if you're happy. Yeah. Yeah. But they're there and you know, everything is instant gratification. You know, it seems Mm -hmm. like it's so much worse. But that's because there's a TV camera or a radio station or some there's somebody right there, somebody with a camera. I mean, it, you get it inst- instant gratification mm-hmm. for everything. And uh, yeah,
4: mm-hmm.
5: good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, Mr.
0: Ruben, not definitely uh, yeah. You know, it's been a uh, a very good interview tonight. It's been a great interview. And uh we definitely want to say thank you for coming on tonight and it's definitely an, an honor to have Command Sergeant Major Anello co host and guest host with us tonight and just the tremendous yeah. service that our country owes Patriots like. Uh okay. we, we well, definitely want to say thank you so much. It. All right. And and uh, uh, I appreciate it my my pleasure and and uh the things that you and, uh, do for uh, uh, the Heroes, uh, just like you talked about making those canes, Mister Rubin. That uh, yeah. that that's something that's very special, and uh, I, I want to say thank you for being uh, other to um, those heroes yeah. and, and to looking out for them. <laughs> well, thank you. You know,
2: it's just that you always feel that you're not doing enough for them. There's so much that can be done for them, but that's just my little niche right there. So. Uh, it's it's my honor and
0: privilege to do that we come to uh we made a promise uh with ourselves um Jeff and Alex and I uh decided that mm-hmm. uh, every week we were going to uh recognize our war fighters and our, our brothers and sisters uh who have lost their life uh in the global war on terrorism um in the week prior so at this yeah. time I'm going to hand the mic over to, uh, Jeff Falkel. For those of you who don't know, um, Jeff is one of our co-hosts here. Jeff is a gold star father. Um, and I consider him my gold star dad. I consider him a friend and, uh, mm-hmm. to know him. And so I'm going to hand it over to Jeff so that he can, uh, show the, uh, prop port, and memory uh, of our fallen brothers from this past week. Thank
6: you, CJ. Uh, yeah, we lost two two warriors, uh, one on 29 April. Uh, that was 1st Lieutenant Weston C. Lee, 25 years of age, from Bluffton, Georgia. He was killed in action in Mosul, Iraq. Uh, while are conducting security as part of an advise and assist support to this partnered forces in the Iraqi Army. He was assigned to the 1st Battalion, 325th Infantry Regiment, 2nd Brigade Combat Team from the 82nd Airborne Division, Fort Bragg, North Carolina. On 5 May 2017, Senior Chief Petty Officer Kyle Milliken, Navy SEAL, serving in Iraqi freedom. um, Senior Chief Milliken was 38 years of age, from Falmouth, Maine. He died in an operation against the Islamic militant group Al Shabaab in a remote area west of Mogadishu, Somalia. Uh, he was assigned to the East Coast-based Special Warfare Unit. Uh, I would like everyone just to think of these warriors, think of their families, thank them for their service, and, be, and keep them in your hearts and your prayers.
2: Mm-hmm. Thank you Jeff you know that means a lot. Special coming from you.
0: Definitely uh, want to say thank you, Jeff, for doing that. And thank you so much for recognizing the sacrifices of our brothers. And I know that that means uh, more to you. Um, and you can appreciate that more than just about anyone um, because of your, your sacrifices. And like I said, I love you, brother. And I have nothing but the utmost respect. It's an too. honor to have you as a friend.
6: Wow.
0: So the Sarah, honor is all mine. Not to uh, distract from that moment, but uh, I think I—I I don't think I know most of us. Our allergies are uh, kicking in about this second. I'll give you something positive, yeah. share a, a proud right. dad moment for a second. So uh, my little boy's seven years old, and uh, he tries his best to be quiet, save himself while I'm on the radio show, and not distract me. But uh, he was just walking by, walking through the living room while taps was playing, and uh, he stopped dead in his. Mm-hmm. His hand over his heart, so uh, I definitely oh, have to wow. recognize my as yeah. for that because that's a bad moment, yeah.
2: Yeah, Absolutely. that makes the allergies act up, huh? Yeah, Absolutely, definitely. Yeah, no
0: kidding, Alex. You oh. with the- Alex? Did we lose you? I think
5: we
6: lost her.
0: Him. Yeah. Or she hit the mute button like Hershey does. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, I heard there were some problems there, and uh, yeah. Joe tried to keep it squared away.
1: Well, he, yeah. had his hand, he had his hand wrapped around a phone, and his thumb kept, <laughs> kept, kept hitting the mute button. <laughs> Uh,
3: That's so funny. He's always like, is that right?
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Alex, do you have anything? I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, I said, do you, do you have any traffic force? Do you have anything before we uh, get ready to close out this episode tonight?
3: <laughs> no, I just wanted to thank uh, our special uh, guest host. And also our honored guest. Thank you guys so much, and we'll we'll see you at the uh, Center for American Values on Thursday, right? Thursday, Friday. Yeah,
2: Friday. Friday. yeah. And I'm Friday. and I'm gonna put you on the spot, Alex. By Friday, oh, you, yeah, you need to it. decide. Okay, uh, you need to decide who is the better looking one, me or Joe. Oh,
4: okay. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> I
2: can't comment. <laughs> <yet. Yeah. laughs> and don't go by seniority now. I can't. I can't fool a
3: fake Asian and go. I don't speak into English. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. Well, Jeff and Alice, we'll see you Friday. And you're going to be there too, Joe. Absolutely. Yeah, I certainly yeah. will.
1: Joan will be with me
2: also. Okay. Great.
0: Uh, yeah. see both-
2: you're not going to make it up here, huh?
0: No, I wish I could, uh, sir. I'll be I'll be in North yeah. Carolina. I fly out to North Carolina in the yeah. race.
2: Yeah, it is really raining hard here right now. So I know oh, the yeah. hills west of us are probably getting some pretty good snow. So it's pretty neat.
6: Yeah, that. Yeah, they just had a little winter storm morning thing uh, on the TV a little bit ago. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Crazy, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So. Before, I can't, I can't up, resist I the train. chance to throw a jab at uh, at Alex because I enjoy it and I, I love getting her mad at me. So, Ruben, when you were telling her that she had until Friday up her mind, I thought you were going to yeah. ask her uh, how long how long her cane needed to be because you were going to make sure that you had a cane for her.
2: <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh! I, I'm not going to touch that one. <laughs> she might use it. She might use it on me. <laughs> <Yeah>. I'm on. <laughs> I'm on. <laughs> I'm on <laughs> maybe one out
6: of. The- <laughs>
3: Reach I know how to use it. it. I'm gonna use it like a bone and beat your ass. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm to use a, respect I me, CJ. <laughs> I'm gonna.
2: I'm gonna make respect. it out of balsa wood.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs>
2: yeah. You're gonna have oh, a doodle, you're gonna have yeah. a balsa, balsa wood cane. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: with with steel
3: core.
0: Yeah. With yeah. This is great, guys. Yeah. It'll I'm on the DPP yeah. program for sure because I I'm banking the ass kickings for my I'm mean, you know just they keep growing. So yeah, anything I, I can do to to grow that account, I do. So I always have to show her some. Yeah.
4: Love.
0: <laughs> there you go.
2: And you know and uh and this goes for you guys if you ever need something, you know, a cane for a special occasion or something like that, let me know, okay? It'll be my honor. Absolutely. All right. We appreciate Jeez. that so
6: much, sir. Okay. Jeff, do you That'll have be anything awesome. before we, only... uh, we start? Major close this out. No, it's just been a great show. Um, um, you know, our our guest host is uh, phenomenal, and uh, and our guest was And really, really one of good looking. And, yeah. 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 And, well, uh, well, good job. Have you good
1: material to work with.
4: <laughs> 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 yeah.
2: Yeah. No, it was very enjoyable. I really enjoyed doing it.
4: Yeah, Definitely yeah. appreciate it so so much.
2: You. All right. Well, we'll no, see Sergeant three, Major, three out of you. yeah. We'll see three out of you uh, see three of you out of four. Huh? That's not bad. That we're going to see Friday. We'll
3: take pictures and send them to CJ. Yep. Yeah. Yeah we'll we'll take we'll take some pictures for CJ for sure.
2: Okay, there you go. I mean, that's, yeah, that's good. Okay. Cool.
1: Yeah. All righty. We let CJ decide who's the better-looking of us there, Ruben.
5: <laughs>
2: yeah, I'm not <laughs> touching that. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh-uh. you I'm going to
6: slap
3: you, Joe. <laughs> 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 I was, was going to I was gonna
6: have a daisy <laughs> comment, right. but I don't dare. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. <You're laughs> <to the> car.
0: <laughs> we don't Wait, want do an open-mic moment.
4: To the
6: <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, uh. Sergeant Major do you have anything for us Do you have any closing remarks Not a, that make?
1: Not a thing except uh, I, I, I thank uh, Ruben for coming on And uh, he was an easy uh, Guest to work with uh-huh. And, uh, and uh, I thank you Once again Ruben
2: Alright well thank you all, all of you you know thank you for uh, giving me This opportunity I, I really Enjoyed it
4: mm-hmm.
0: Thank you, thank
2: you so much. All right. Hey guys, you've been listening to uh, a. Go ahead, sir. Uh, No, I was going to say I'm gonna go see how much rain we've gotten. So uh, it's great. Haven't had to water for a while. Mm
3: -hmm. Wet t-shirt contest. Definitely, I said it first.
0: Wet (laughs) (laughs) t-shirt contest. (laughs) Way to go, Alex. I
3: said what you guys were thinking. Kidding.
0: Uh-huh. So, so I will you in the old country later, eh? Yeah, right. thanks for coming on tonight, Mr. Rubin uh, El Hefe. Okay. We appreciate right. you being a guest. Okay. Uh, it was definitely a great episode.
6: Right. I want to let okay. our uh,
0: listeners know you've been listening to a live episode of The Hot Wash with uh, our distinguished uh, guest co-host, Command Sergeant Major Retired, Goinello, uh, who is a former prisoner of war from Korea. And we've had Vietnam veteran... El Jefe Ruben Archuleta, uh, who's just an all around great American and great patriot. Definitely appreciate the, mm-hmm. these gentlemen being on the show tonight. Want to remind our guests that all of our episodes are available on iTunes. Uh, download our, our episodes and listen to them on iTunes. You can also go to www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash WOR and download our episodes. Uh, they're free of charge, no charge at all. And I want to tell everybody about our new uh, page that we've started up. Uh, it's www.thehotwashlive.com. We're going to start doing some uh, blogs, some articles on there, and passing information and just uh, sharing information about our, our partners uh, in the veteran community. Once again, guys, I appreciate everyone listening in tonight. God bless America. God bless the USA. My stalkers don't quit.
2: Never, Never, ever, ever. ever, ever. Thank you. All right. All right. (laughs) Bye-bye. Good night. We'll see you. Good
6: night, everybody. Bye-bye.
4: Cowboy. Cowboy. My game and I'ma head out west. With real women come equipped with scripts and fake press. Find a nest in the hills, chill like Flint, buy an old drop.